Hello and welcome to the EdSurge On Air podcast. This week, we're diving into the second episode of a four-part series about why teachers teach, called Teachable Moments. I'm Sydney Johnson, an assistant editor at EdSurge. And I'm Monica Brady-Meyerov, a public radio reporter and the founder of ListenWise, a listening skills-building company that brings great storytelling to the classroom for free. In this series, we'll hear directly from educators who attended the EdSurge Fusion Conference last fall. They share important and sometimes challenging moments in their careers, and ultimately, what brings them joy in teaching. The stories in this episode are about reflecting on the teaching moments that don't always happen in a classroom. We'll hear from four educators who share how their philosophies around teaching were shaped by moments that happened when they weren't in front of the classroom. Sometimes the lessons came from being a parent or coach. First, we hear from Victor Tam, principal at the Edwin and Anita Lee Newcomer School in San Francisco Unified School District. He looks back at a time when he felt regret as a parent because his son didn't get the right support and how that fed into broader cultural patterns of believing a teacher over a student. It made him realize the impact, good or bad, that just one teacher can have on a student. The story that I have is a mixed role. I'm going to tell it to you as an educator and as a parent. My story has to do with my oldest son. My oldest son, Elliot, he went to one of the top, academically top, elementary, middle, and high schools in our district. And he just recently graduated from college. And I just wanted to tell you about his path and how I interpreted it as a parent and also as an educator. So Elliot, from a young age, it was very clear that his strength was in math. And he went through middle school and he was recruited for the math team and he did really well. He went into one of our top academic high schools in freshman year, he started very high, and every year it went progressively lower and lower to the point where at the end of his career as a senior, we weren't sure that he was gonna graduate, that he had lost all love of school, any love of learning, and the only thing keeping him together were his friends. He had a math teacher as a, in his senior year who made him feel like he was nothing, that he couldn't do it, that he didn't belong, and it crushed him. And I have to say a lot of the teachers along his path in that high school didn't show a whole lot of care, a lot of empathy, any sign of love for for student nor teaching. And it was really painful It was really painful to be an educator within the system, an administrator within the system, and be powerless to do anything about it. By the time Elliot finished, he didn't even bother to apply for a four-year school. He just went straight into junior college, and there he thrived. He had teachers who knew him by name, who who saw him, who cared about him, who laughed with him, who loved the subject, and he excelled. So Elliot became, he was invited into this honor society. He was sent to Kansas City and to Texas on these leadership camps, and they really saw that he had value. 
I think my story is really about care. You know, just the impact, the power of a teacher, and how much of an impact we as teachers or educators or principals have on students. And if we don't care about them, if we don't love them, if we don't love what we're doing, we don't belong there. The most surprising takeaway was how I fell into a pattern, a cultural pattern of believing a teacher over a student, over my own child. And that was very painful to accept. Years later, I, I went out to him and I apologized to him. I said, you know, I'm so sorry that I didn't believe in you. At a time when Mama and I should have been had your back, should have been advocating for you, everything that we as educators tell our parents to do, my wife and I failed him. And that was really hard. I think if I had one takeaway, it's that as a parent, as principals, as colleagues in a school, we'd better be looking out for our kids. And if we're serious about that, we have to call out people who don't belong in this career. You know, it's a privilege, it's an honor to be a teacher and an educator. And it's very awful to our profession when we allow people who are substandard in it. And if we're not fighting for that, if we're not advocating for quality, we're not doing our jobs, not for our kids, not for each other, you know, not for the system. That was Victor Tam, principal at the Edwin and Anita Lee Newcomer School in San Francisco Unified School District. Next up is Sandra McConnell, a retired fifth grade teacher who had a career working in high technology before becoming a teacher. Her story is about what came after both of those experiences and what she learned when she went way outside of her comfort zone but was still drawn to teaching. Leaving the classroom was a difficult decision for me. Uh, my husband died four and a half years ago, and I returned to the classroom for one more year after that, and it was, I wasn't ready, and it was really difficult for a variety of reasons. So I thought I would take a year off, and other opportunities presented themselves, including a variety of ways of teaching that do not involve classroom walls. The first really exciting thing that I got to do was uh, take a trip to Cambodia. And a friend of mine had asked if I wanted to go on a volunteer kind of mission. It was volunteer tourism, I guess they call it. And um, he had already decided he wanted to go to Cambodia. And this is a guy I used to volunteer with like 30 years ago. We've been friends ever since. So I said, sure, what the heck, Cambodia. And wasn't really sure what we'd be doing when we got there. Um, they said that there could be a variety of things from making wheelchairs to building chicken coops to digging wells to teaching to whatever. And so when we got there, they found out that I was a teacher and were very excited to have a teacher there to help with the village children learning English. They don't have an opportunity to learn English in the villages, only in the cities. And learning English really is their ticket to economic security as they age and, and become part of the workforce. Cambodia was amazing on so many levels, but we had a driver. So we were driven around in a tuk-tuk by Mr. Rutt. And Mr. Rutt spoke no English. We, I, we had a translator that we worked with. And um, my goal when I met Mr. Rutt was to have him be able to say good morning and good afternoon by the end of the week. 
and on the second day of classes, I noticed that Mr. Rott was sitting in the back of the quote-unquote classroom, and if you saw pictures, you'd understand why that's in quotes, but he was doing every assignment that the students were doing, and they were anywhere from 4 to 18 years old, and here is this grown adult in the back of the room doing all the assignments. And that was kind of my aha, that he understood the value of learning English because it had real and direct and immediate consequences for him and his career and his family. He was living in abject poverty. We saw his home. His home had been destroyed in the storms. And he knew that if he could communicate in English, then people could ask him to take them to certain places that he could now understand. And so that was a very powerful moment for me when I realized I'm not just there to teach English to little kids. My purpose is bigger than I ever knew it was. The beauty of that is I feel like I'm honoring my husband's memory because he absolutely believed that you had to live life just full of joy and passion. And even though he would have hated me going outside the country to teach, Um, because he did not like traveling internationally, Mm -hmm. he would be so proud of me. And so I feel like I'm living life with joy and passion for both of us. And I see teaching as one of the highest forms of service. And so it just seems like a natural thing is to help people better their own circumstances. That was Sandra McConnell, a retired fifth grade teacher. Next, we hear from Lindsay Blass, a personalized learning environments program manager for San Francisco Unified School District. She got her start teaching elementary school and recalls a time she turned to her students for help and how they guided the way. That experience changed the direction of her career. When I first started teaching, I started in elementary school, fourth grade, and it was kind of a funny bit because I was always getting complimented on my classroom management and the engagement in my classroom. But I was still feeling a disconnect with my students because I didn't feel they were deeply engaged. You know, I'd have to walk around and sort of tap their back and then they'd sit back up straight or, you know, look over the table group and give them the eye or use a little proximity and get things back on track. And and I didn't really realize what true engagement looked like until several years later when I actually gained access to some technology in my classroom. And I had to sort of push myself through a struggle where I no longer was an expert on everything that I was using. I was actually the teacher who didn't even know how to use PowerPoint back in the day. And so I get access to these iPads. And so I've got to go to my students. How do we use these? And, you know, I'm going to all these professional developments. And and what is this iMovie thing? And how are we going to integrate this into learning? And what blogging, you know, we're going to use that? So I start bringing the iPads to my students, but I really need their voice and their leadership and how we can use these tools and how we can use them effectively, knowing what we're studying, knowing at the end of what we're studying, we're going to have to show what we know. Um, And the students really guided the way. One of the student moments within it that always stands out to me is we actually started blogging. This one student, she would come in before school to work on her blog. She would come in at lunch. And when we had her parent-teacher conference, her mom was talking about, you know, how she had never seen herself as a learner before. And she goes, she does seem very, very engaged and excited about the work that she's doing in your classroom. She goes, but I just wish that she would like writing. You know, she, she loves reading. I see her read at home. 
So I turned to her, I said, you don't like writing, huh? And she goes, no, I don't like writing. And I said, huh, do you like blogging? She, I love blogging. I love writing on my blog. I said, yeah, I hate to tell you, honey, but blogging is writing. And <laughs> she started laughing. Her mom started laughing. She showed her mom her blog, and her mom was just floored. And I think that was around the time that my eyes started to really open to what student engagement was, um, just seeing these students take ownership of their learning experience, help lead the way alongside me because I didn't have all the answers. Um, and it really did become our classroom, our learning experience. I think the surprising part was that I never saw myself as that techie teacher, that techie person. And within a year, I became so passionate about it, you know, and I learned so much from my students and from all the professional development that I went to that no one could see me as anything but that because then I started spreading that passion to other classrooms, to other teachers, you know, started going to conferences, nationwide conferences and presenting on it. And, you know, now my entire job focuses on spreading this across San Francisco Unified. I never would have expected to lead this work within our Department of Technology if you had asked, you know, first, second, third year teacher Lindsay, is this where your path is going to go? Um, I'd say it's very surprising that I landed here, but I think you ask anyone who met me from that point on, and that's all they could see. A lot of times people think of teachers that have been in practice for a long time as the strongest resistors to innovation and, and whatnot. Well, it's it's sort of like we need to acknowledge what they're bringing to the table already and how this can complement it. And I would say to not be afraid to just take a risk and let your students help you lead the way. They know how to use this and they'll help you and they'll take so much more ownership in it if you give them that voice and that experience. So I think you know if I can somehow go from not being able to make a PowerPoint to leading technology integration in the largest urban district in the Bay Area, I think that you have a lot of potential for what you can do in your classroom. We just heard from Lindsay Blass, Personalized Learning Environments Program Manager for San Francisco Unified School District. And finally, we turn to Michael DiMaggio, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships and Development for KnowledgeWorks. Previously, he was a high school teacher in Lakewood, California, and a baseball coach. He reflects on how a careless action on his part deeply affected a student on his baseball team. I was coaching the freshman baseball team, and I was fortunate to have a really good team at the time, and we were undefeated going into spring break. And sort of happy on the heels of that, I told one of these kids that, I, hey, over spring break, let's get together, and I'll spend some extra time with you. Uh, you know, work out, go, go to the batting cages, you know, work, work on some things and fundamentals. Um, and he'd had a challenging home life, and so this was something that I know that was important to him. So we get back from spring break, and I totally spaced it, completely forgot. And we get back, and I had never had problems with this particular kid, Zach. And although all the, everybody said, you know, he's a, tr he's a trouble kid, but we got along really well. And we get back after spring break. It's a Monday after break, and we have this practice. And he's just, like, being sullen, defiant, insubordinate. I'd never experienced that with him. And I said, Zach, what's up? And he said nothing. And so he kept doing it. We wouldn't, wouldn't pay attention. We wouldn't do the things that he normally would do really willingly. And so I said, let's stay after practice. Let's talk. So practice ends. And um, I say, Zach, what's going on? And he goes, Coach, what happened over spring break? And I go, oh, God, I completely forgot. I'm sorry. And he looks at me and he says, Coach, I expect that from my dad. I never expected that from you. Even now, I'm just speechless. Um, I apologize. 
and said, I'm really sorry, and it won't happen again. And I understood at that moment that what we say to kids is, is important because uh, words matter. And trust is very fragile, especially with young people, and especially young people who may have undergone or some, had some ex, uh, experiences where they just don't trust people willingly. And so I was a positive male role figure for him, and I violated that trust I built with him. I, I was surprised that he was so upset about that. I was surprised that I didn't recognize how important this was to him. And I was surprised that um, a casual remark could be taken so seriously. Uh, maybe words matter, and or trust is fragile. And we just need to continuously be mindful of what we say to kids because even when we don't think they're listening, they often are. And we need to be very intentional about what we say and do what we say because I, I believe that, you know, that often when we don't think they're paying attention, they are. And it's really easy to, uh, in this case, you know, pass something off, oh, I just forgot, when realize it, had, it, it, it carried much more meaning for him. So this was uh, about 20 years ago. Something I've carried with me. So, like, I have nieces and want to continue teaching. Um, I'm very careful that whatever I say to a kid or, you know, I mean. And you have to follow, follow through on that. And so I won't say it unless I can do it. And if I can't do it, I let them know ahead of time or I take responsibility if I can't do it. The thing I'd like others to take away is that as a teacher or a coach or any type of positive adult in a, in a child's life, that what you do and say matters. They're always watching you. And... Fortunately, uh, we were able to get through that pretty well. I think he knew I was I was sincere, and, and I honored that his feelings were. And But it's it a lesson I still carry, as you noticed. And I think that just as adults, we need to always be mindful of how we carry ourselves, what we say, what we do, and be, and be intentional in carrying that and following through on that. That was Michael DiMaggio, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships and Development for KnowledgeWorks. This series was made possible thanks to a partnership with ListenWise, an award-winning listening program that brings the most compelling podcasts and NPR stories to middle and high school classrooms. The music you hear in this episode comes from Bandcamp and is by Joachim Karud. Thanks for listening to these teacher stories on Teachable, Teachable Moments. Moments.